just have to brag a little. Did everyone see what I just did? <laughs> Not that I don't love the ushers and all the help that they've given me, but I was able to walk a table across the stage. Couldn't do it a little while ago. Uh, second week in sneakers. For those of you who don't know, you're like, what's he talking about? Uh, my name's Adam, one of the pastors here at the church. And back in April, I had um, surgery from a, to repair a torn Achilles tendon. And I am on the mend. Still got a long way to go. Uh, they tell me it'll be till March till I can run, jump, or do lateral movement. So... I'm um, still a long, patient road to travel, and I'm not a very patient guy. Some of you say yeah, amen to that. Um, but again, excited to be this far. Before we jump into the message, I just want to kind of talk about just some announcements, some things you may have read in your bulletin, and, and some of these things are there. Uh, again, and you can reply. Pastor Chris mentioned the tear-off. You, you can respond to some of these there, and you'll see more finished. The first one is um, the yard sale. This is a children's yard sale. This is, this is a really cool grassroots, kind of came up from the children. Uh, some kids were reading a magazine, a compassion magazine, and realized there are kids in the world that, that live with far less than what we do. And they realized they can build a little home for roughly 300 to $400. And so they said, we can do this. So they came to Rachel and the children's staff and said, can we do this? And they said, yeah. So they, uh, Friday, August 29th, it's going to happen right out here in our parking lot. And it's going to be children's items. Uh, so children's clothes, children's furniture, children's toys. And uh, we're seeking, hey, come on out and buy. If you have kids or grandkids like to buy for and support, give, um, uh, children's items. Maybe you can go through your closets. We went through ours. We were getting ready for our own yard sale. So we went through and cleared out a bunch of kids stuff, brought it down here and dropped it off. It can be dropped off in the children's area. So again, if you're not sure where that is, uh, talk to someone in the foyer and they will get you to that location. Uh, again, other information on that it's out there. You can check it out. Next thing I want to mention is our series. This morning ends our Jesus period series. And this has been a good series. I've enjoyed this series. I've missed a lot of it. <laughs> um, didn't even preach a lot of it, but uh, Pastor Chris did a lot of that because of my surgery. Next week starts when it's going to end our summer out. I'm really excited about this series. Uh, I've been looking forward to this series. And I just want to watch this quick teaser here, kind of get you ready for next week. I pray to God, but I don't think he's really listening to me. So they tell me that I'm supposed to have a personal relationship with God. What does that mean? I don't even have a personal relationship with my wife. Is he really going to be there for me when I need him? Yeah, I read the Bible. Parts of it. I believe somewhat what the Bible says. I still want to go out and have a good time. Just because I believe in Jesus doesn't mean I'm going to stop sleeping with my girlfriend. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. But I don't want to be a freak about it. Excited to start that next week. I actually already have that message written. I had to write two messages this week because I'm going to be going to the leadership summit and Crystal's going to be out. She needed, she does a lot of our presentation stuff. So I am stoked for next week. I'm really excited. It's going to be hard. I'll be very honest. It was hard on me to prepare it just to search my own heart. Um, but we live in a country where roughly 90%, 80 to 90%, depending on what polls you look to, say that they believe in a God or a higher spiritual being or power. And, uh, but you look around and think, well, what difference does that really make? Uh, what difference does it make for me? So encourage you to come on out, check that out, be inviting some friends to that. Next thing I want to mention, that series is going to take us into the end of the summer, and that brings us to Labor Day. Labor Day, we're going to do something on our holiday weekends. We always condense into one service, and we normally go to our 1030 service. We've heard... A number of you share, hey, why don't you do the 9 a.m. holiday weekend, get our, get our day started. We have picnics and other suites. So we said, let's give it a shot. So 9 a.m. service only 
on August 31st. That's Labor Day weekend, 9 a.m. service only. So just want to make sure to mark that on your calendar, this service especially. If you're normally here, you're going to show up here, and you're going to catch us all leaving to our picnics, and you're going to be coming into an empty building. So you're more than welcome to do that, more than welcome to hang out and pray and whatever else, but there won't be a service at 1030 that morning. So just want to draw attention to that. And we'll continue to talk about that. So just kind of first mention that next thing I want to mention next week, um, uh, starts our new series and that starts our new reading plan. It'll carry us all the way through the end of the year. So if you are journaling or in the known journal, uh, the new one starts next week and they're here to pick up, to grab, they're out in the foyer, grab one. You say, Hey, I don't journal. I just do the reading plan. Well, they're also out there and we're going to give everyone one next week in your bulletin, um, that, uh, but the journals are there. Want to want to mention that, that this morning's, this green one, we are on page, I think 91 or something like that near the very end, but this runs out this morning. So I want to pick one of them up. Um, with that said, let me double check, make sure I got it all. I got it all. Okay. A lot there this morning. There's other stuff in your bulletin. Uh, I want to encourage you to read, check that out. Uh, but for now, why don't I pray? And then we're going to jump right into, um, kind of ending out our Jesus uh, period uh, series. God, um, I pray all my, everything I have, that you would meet me here, you would meet us here. God, you want to know us, you want to walk with us. You sent Jesus to this earth to hang on a cross, to pay a price, to exchange a perfect life for an imperfect life in us. God, I'm not sure where everyone comes from. There's some here with skeptical thoughts on their hearts and minds. There's some here with excitement. But God, the anticipation is that you're alive, you're living, you're not dead. And because of that, you work, you change. Uh, So God, the expectations, we open up your word that you would touch us, meet with us, change us as we get to know you and your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Open up in your Bibles with me to Colossians, Colossians chapter 4. Again, we're going to end this series out, Colossians chapter 4. If you're new to the Bible or... um, Maybe not as familiar with the Bible as others. I have this little dial here. Colossians is what we call the New Testament. It's very near the end between books. You'll see Ephesians, Philippians. You'll see Colossians, 1 Thessalonians. Colossians chapter 4. We've been spending um, the last, what is it, 18, 16 weeks now. I'm going to end the whole thing. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. Now, I'm going to read this. We're going to start up by reading this. I'm going to just give you a little precursor. I am terrible with languages. One of the classes that I, um, I wasn't a great student in school, but, but one that I almost failed and came very close, uh, the worst class I ever took was Spanish. Um, I'm not a Greek scholar. I've been to Bible school and have had Greek classes, and I am not a Greek scholar. Uh, matter of fact, I tell people I struggle with the English language. I don't know what they need me to learn another one for yet, too, because I can barely get this one down. Uh, but in all seriousness, I'm going to read through this. And some of you, when you read, there's some really strange names in here. And there's some things that are not kind of normal to our English reading that have some Greek and um, even some Roman Latin origins. So I want to say that right up front. I'm going to do my best to pronounce them. But if you're like me and struggle with these, you're in good company. And uh, I think many of us do. But it starts out. There's a, there's a funny one right out the start there. I don't think this is probably a name that you're hearing child children name today. But Tychicus, what do you think? Anyone here pregnant? I got a name for you, Tychicus. Tychicus will, will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances that, and he may encourage your hearts. 
Pastor Chris mentioned the circumstances last week. Paul is on house arrest. He's arrested for preaching the message of Jesus. Verse 9. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristocris, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proven a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas sends greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. Then he closes out the whole letter just to kind of defend who he is. I wrote this. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now, as you look at this, as you look at this, uh, kind of come to this place, this last, these last verses, if you're maybe like me and you, you sit down to do a journal like this, and when I read verses like we just read there, a lot of times I'm tempted to kind of, let's move right by that. I mean, what am I going to do with that? I read all these names and all this stuff, and what does that mean to me today? Uh, or, or maybe you, maybe the other times what I'll do is I'm, I love history and I love the connections, so I'll start looking at these names and I'll flip in other places of the Bible and try and figure out who these guys are and who this, who this girl is that's mentioned and what about this church in her house and where did it start? I'll, I'll start trying to, but again, I come back to what does it really mean to my life today? And Pastor Chris and I laid out this series. The elders said, let's go through Colossians. And Chris and I sat down to break it into the weeks and how are we going to do this? And we kind of came to this point and we thought, well, let's just end the book in verse 6. Let's end what we did last week. Let's pray, you know, for open doors and let's talk about prayer and let's talk about the mission of the church and reaching our community. And let's, let's just end there. Why? What, is, what do we do with all this? When it began to hit me, Chris and I, as we sat there, we thought, you know what this is? Kind of dawned on us. It's the same thing that you find in any book you pick up to read. If you go to the table of contents and look, it's usually you'll see it somewhere in the back of the book, but sometimes you'll see it in the front of the book. It's called the acknowledgments. Now, what are the acknowledgments? When you, when you read a book, maybe you're in the middle of a book right now, why are the acknowledgments there in that book? What the author is trying to communicate is, hey, listen, you see my name on the front cover and you love what I wrote, but there's a whole army of people who have supported me, who've walked with me, whose shoulders I stand on, who've read and reread and, and said, hey, you can't say it that way. And have you considered this and, and, have, and have supported me in time so that I could get away to even do this and have been a family that stood the acknowledgement saying, hey, we stand on someone else's shoulders. It's not just about me. And it finally hit me. That's what Paul's doing here. Now, what really went to my heart was the significance of it being at the end of Colossians. He does this in other places. But in a book where it's talking about Jesus, period, 
A book where we've spent our time saying, listen, if I'm a Christian, what it means is Jesus is in me and I am in him. That nothing else, period, brings me to God the Father. Nothing. Nothing connects me in relationship with him. Nothing keeps me in relationship with him. It's Jesus, period. And how cool is it that as it ends this book of basically a life that you aren't in control, it's Jesus. It ends by then with this impressive gratitude towards us. And I think what Paul is indirectly saying He doesn't ever say this, but gratitude towards others, I believe, is an indication of a life lived in Jesus, period. If I can't thank you for the role you've played in my life, if I can't acknowledge the peace that that you have done to strengthen me and how I stand on your shoulders, then am I really living in Jesus, period? Might I be looking to myself? That's why I can't thank you or acknowledge your role. Because if I did that, I might undermine my role. And my role might be where I'm finding my identity. So I love this ending, how, how he kind of ends this here. And, and as I thought about this more and more, as Chris and I way back in the, the winter were laying this out, I thought about this more and more. I thought, you know what? Aren't we a country that likes to tout that we're self-made? And don't we love those stories? I think about when I was 18 years old. I graduated high school, finished up my senior year, and my passion through high school, my absolute passion was to play football in college, big-time football. I wanted to play at Penn State, but I said, I'll go to any Division I school. I want to play football. Well, the light bulb came on to me that, Adam, you know what? God didn't bless you with great size, great strength, and great athletic ability. Where you have gotten, you have gotten there because of a lot of hard work. So I realized I've got to lay this thing down. I got to start figuring out there's more to school than football. And I got to figure out what I want to do for a living. So where do I then want to go to school? So I picked a school to, to focus on ornamental horticulture, though I'll be a landscaper. Well, the closer I got to, to that summer and the closer I'm realizing, oh my goodness, I got to go off to school. I'm beginning to realize, is that really what I want to do for the rest of my life? So I wrestled with this. So I came to my dad and I sat down and said, dad, I think what I would like to do is take the summer and all next year to just work. I'm just going to forget about school for a while. I just want to save money. And, you know, I don't want to get out of school with this huge student loan and not realize I don't even want to do that. And then, then what do I do? And so I just want to work. Now, my dad was a little nervous, and I understand this because he's like, oh, yeah, I've heard this before. <laughs> I've seen other people do this. I mean, you'll never get to college. So he expressed that, and we talked about that. And I said, I know, Dad. Now, my dad was a general manager at the time of Cloister Springwater. Some of you know, remember them. They're now Crystal Springwater. They've been bought out and merged and all kinds of... So it was Cloister Springwater at the time. And, and I said to my dad, Dad, can I get a job there? Do you have a job for me? He went and talked to the plant manager, came back and said, Adam, I got a job. There's a job. Starting Monday. Okay. When I came to that in my car, pulled into the parking space on Monday morning... You know a square in my heart? I am here. I'm walking into this plant to bottle water. And I'm going to prove to everyone that I did not get this job because my last name is Nagel. I'm going to prove to everyone that I deserve this job, that I'm smart enough for this job, that I work hard enough for this job, that I've got it together, and that's why I got this job. Now, why did I get the job? Let's be honest. Why did Adam Nagel get that job? I'm Dave Nagel's son. The job wasn't posted in the paper. The job wasn't even created the week before. They actually created a position for me. Now, it's somewhat healthy that I don't just want to ride on my dad's coattails. I'm not just going to glide through and ha-ha. And I've, we've seen that at times, the, the boss and then his son works. And it's like, whoa, is he even? I mean, we've seen that. I didn't, 
But let's be honest. I had the job because of my dad. But I didn't like to acknowledge that. I'm self-made. I can do this. And I missed out that I'm not in control, that I stand on other people's shoulders. I think what Paul's getting to at the end of this book is it's Jesus, period. And my success stands on the shoulders of others. And my success is ultimately their success all throughout life. You know, I find we even do this in comparison. Maybe you've ever sat and looked on Facebook and saw the nice house that they just bought or the vacation they just took or the kids they just adopted or the kids they just birthed. And you sit back and you think, I can't afford that. I can't do that. I can't go there. How'd they get that job? And what I think we miss at times is we just look at the person and we don't look at the backstory. Maybe they could afford their house because their mom and dad paid for their college. So when they got out of school, they didn't have an $80,000 debt to pay, pay, basically pay a mortgage payment. They could, or, or maybe, maybe, you know why they have the number of kids they do and why you can't have more because they're so expensive is because they have parents who are wealthy who buy all those kids their clothes. And you, won't, you don't see that on Facebook. Or maybe, maybe this is one I learned in Charlotte, North Carolina. When I began to realize we lived in a neighborhood that had the number two school at the time in America, according to the U.S. News and World Report ranking. Number two in the entire country. Less than a stone's throw away, literally across the highway, was a school that wouldn't even, wouldn't even be anywhere near the list. And what I began to realize, too, even in this whole story, is when you begin to understand the reality of children who come from here have a lot more opportunity than children who come from here. Even the families that we come from. So a lot of times we just look at the person and think, wow, what a success. And we miss their backstory. Now, I'm going to pause here a minute because some of you are sitting here going, oh, my goodness, Adam. That's not very encouraging. (laughs) Do you know where I've come from and the family I have? I get that. But here's what I want to share from the bottom of my heart. I get, I get that. But if you want true success in life, I believe it's imperative that we learn to open ourselves up to others. And I think that's the body of Christ. And see, I find one of the things that's helped me open myself up to others is the Jesus period message. Because when I'm not looking to my hard work and my ingenuity and my religion and my stuff to prove that I'm worth it, I'm not then threatened. If I'm just in Jesus' period, I'm learned to open myself up and trust and walk with because I'm not looking to you to pat me on the back or to prove that I am someone. I'm just walking with you. I know that's hard for some of us who come from different places and different backgrounds, but ultimately, I think Paul's saying here, listen, my success is their success. These people have encouraged me, walk with me, or fellow laborers in what I do. In other words, you could say it another way. We don't do life alone. Most of you say, I know that. But do we really know that? Do we really, to our fiber, believe this? In fact, I would take it a step further. I think what Paul's really saying, not only do we not do life alone, we don't do mission alone. The final thing Jesus asked his church to do, his disciples, is to go into all the world and make disciples. The church, in other words, is the, is the hope of the world because we possess the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's not just come and gather and be encouraged and each individually walk out into the world to reach the people that are in your lives. It's link arms as a body. Be the body. You're all gifted uniquely and differently. Be the body of Jesus Christ and represent that to the world. 
We're in mission together. And Paul says, we don't do this thing. There's a lot of other people I want to talk about. You know, if you go to 1 Corinthians 3, maybe write it down and read it this week. It's not in the reading plan, but maybe it's one you want to add. If you're one that doesn't want to do more than what's in there. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul there writes about, hey, he understood his role. He understood his gift. And he understood how what he did was different than what they did. And the church there was having a big problem because they were having all these fights. And Paul's just saying, hey, let's stop fighting. They're gifted different than this person waters, this person plants, this person works the soil. And then the other thing Paul understood is Paul understood the difference between what he does and what God does. Hey, God ultimately does the work. The harvest completes it. Now, I think what Paul knew about when he's writing here is he knew it's not about his programs, not about his letters, not about his churches, not about his mission. It's not even about his name. It's not about his anything. It was Jesus, period. And what he's trying to communicate is we do this thing together. We are focused on something much bigger together. Now, as I was reading this and preparing for this uh, this past week, I, I stopped. I think, you know what I want to do? I want to recognize people here. Because this is so true of Bethany. And we don't do this enough. So what I, do is I, go, I, I started with a list of people. And I soon realized, oh my goodness, we'll be here all morning. Kind of like those speeches, you know, for the Grammys when they come up and they start talking. And after a while, the music just starts playing. I mean, soon Curtis is going to put a CD on it to get him off the stage. because he's. So I realized I can't do that. Let's not do that. So I want to start with the general areas. And even this is going to get a little long. But I just want to do, from the bottom of my heart, this is the local church. If I were writing a letter... Here's something on no particular order. I want to start with children's ministry, nursery and clubs and all parts of children's ministry. So crucial to what we do as a church. It's not just this separate thing down there doing their thing. We are in this together. They're trying to say, okay, this is what the church is about. This is what ch- here's how we all work together. You know, children's ministry makes such a difference. I love, 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 love. We have our newcomers classes and a, and a person who's new to the church says, says this statement. We always ask the question, why are you here? How do you hear about Bethany? Why are you staying here? And we always, well, times we'll hear, you know why I'm here? Because my kids love it here. Way to go. I love that. I want to say our children's ministry, in my opinion, is one of the toughest volunteer positions in this entire church. Rachel's asking for a week in, week out commitment for a year. That's tough. Now, there's other positions that happen there, too, and they're very important. There's positions throughout the week. There's, but a week-in, week-out commitment, because the children understand it's not just about giving them truth, but it's about building a relationship with a child and caring for them. And if you're in children's ministry at any level, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Think of our student ministry. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I met with Grant, who's our leader there. I cannot wait for you guys to hear some of the God stuff that's happened this summer. It excites me. When I look, and I look, many of them are sitting right over here, and I say, man, you know what? They're not the church of tomorrow. They're the church of today. God is alive and well and active and working in their lives, and God is doing things there, and we have a lot to learn from them. And I love those of you who commit your time to say, I want to go and invest in them, and not just invest in tomorrow's church, but let them challenge me. And I can't wait. They're putting a video together. They, they met last week to film it, the whole team. And, and I can't wait for you to hear those stories. So I say thank you to those of you who work in student ministry. I think of our life groups, the leadership team. Chris heads up that area. Then he's got the whole team of Dave and Sandy and Nick with them. And, and then all the facilitators. 
you know, the bottom of my heart, I can't, you know what my passion is for church? Many of us define church as we come and sit on Sunday morning and you're looking at the back of someone's head right now. You had one guy on the stage. My passion, since I know this is idealistic, it's not a real world. My ideal church would be, let's not even do Sunday morning. Go to your groups. If you only have one hour to give to a religious activity in a week, go to your group. Turn the pews around and sit face to face. And some of you are doing that. And there's facilitators here in this room that are leading groups that are trying to and working so hard because it's not natural. We don't like this. <laughs> Let's turn inwards and talk to one another and walk with one another. And those of you in the front lines of that, I cannot thank you enough. You are doing, I stand on your shoulders. Anything that happens here is building upon that, in my opinion. I think of our front door ministry. You know, I, I'm thrilled at our front door. I remember when I first visited Bethany, I just came and I said, I want to know, before I, was, before I was even hired, I just visited. And I remember saying to Tanya, let's just walk in and stand at the front door. And I want to know, does this church ha- antennas, are they out for guests? Or is the red carpet rolled out for the community? So we walked in the front door and I stood right inside that front door, right out there. Some of you have heard this story before. And I stood there. I'm just going to watch the clock, see how long it takes when someone comes and greets me. But you know what? This isn't because of me. This isn't because I'm not even in a foyer. But you know what you see today? You don't even get into the building without a handshake. Those front doors are hung wide open to the point where it makes this foyer a little humid. And I love it. Because people are, I talked to a guest this morning after first service. It said this, this is a really friendly place. Amen. They're forming opinions about this church. Front, those of you who serve in front door, you set the first impression long before they hear anything sung or hear anything spoken. So those of you who serve in the front door, what a difference that you make. Huge difference. I go down to our worship, our sound, our video, the arts, anything that happens up here and Curtis and Andy and his wife are back there, Melissa, um, not singling them out. They're just happening to be the ones serving this morning. Saw Sarah here in stage and all the rest of the team up here. Music is so important. If you serve in this area, I cannot thank you enough. One of the things I've begun to study and realize, the persecuted church, those who study and look at it, they discover that music is what gets someone in Eastern Europe and China and other places through jail time and horrendous treatment for the sake of Christ. Music is what strengthens them. I love it. Music speaks to the heart in ways that our spoken word does not. We're commanded to sing. Here's the other thing. I know this is an embattled area at times. The scriptures say sing a new song. It's not just old songs either. And so this group this morning sung a really old song, did they not? Very first song in their song set is a really old song. But then they sang a new song speaking to the hearts of people. So again, if you're in that area, I just want to say thank you. I mean, you're doing work that, that we can't. And you're constantly looking at how do we grow and get better and, and progress in this. The ushers, getting people sat and moving them around. And, and they also control the light switch. You know, this seems so insignificant. But I saw, this is what the point I'm trying to make. It seems so, oh boy, so I just press a light switch. But you realize, have you ever sat, and maybe it's been one of our services where a mistake was made. Well, you're focused on what's going on. All of a sudden, the lights change. Well, no, wait a minute. And it 
What has happened? Your mind suddenly changes. So when that person's back there volunteering week in and week out, and they're pressing that button at just the right time, at just the right transition, that's a big deal. It's making a, you say, well, that's all I do. Well, that all you do could be the difference between someone staying engaged and focused and someone losing and chasing the birdie off in, the, in their mind. It's a powerful role. I think of our care ministry. Not just the, the, the formal leadership team, but those that do the visitations, the meals, the physical care. I mean, that is, that is the heart and soul of this church. And what I love is this church says, you know what? It's not just about two paid guys, Adam and Chris, doing all the care. It's the body caring for the body. And I love it. Think of our church council. That's the group that kind of looks after our facilities and the physical stuff, the budget and the building. And, you know, the trustees are in there and the, the, those who kind of the, the treasures and the, all that. You know how important that is? Some of you, yeah, we don't pay the bills. We, we're in big trouble. You know, the time that they put in, probably more than anyone else in this church. Don, our head treasurer, I see him probably more than I think I'm here at times. And then the trustees, the time that they put in the care of the You know what's interesting about a building? When you walk in, you know, when you live in a place for about 10 years, remember when Tanya and I had, were in an apartment and we spilled a candle? This red wax, it landed on the floor. And you know what happens when wax hits the floor? It doesn't come out. And it had all this red dye and it had this big stain and there it was. Now, it really bothered us for a while. But after a while, it landed on our ugly Berber carpet that we didn't like anyway. But the landlord put in there. So we thought, oh, well, it might actually help a little bit. But we, after a while, we didn't even see the stain, right? But what happens when a guest comes over? After three years we're living there, a guest comes over, sits down. What's one of the first things the guest sees? It's that red mark there. They kill people here? I mean, what's going on? And so our, the people that care for this building are saying, hey, listen, I know that's a nice building. Let's keep it nice. Let's work hard so that the building's not a distraction to people. Let's make sure the temperature's right. Let's make sure our systems are working. Let's make sure. And that is an incredible gift to this church. We're in this thing together. Think of our library, our adult education. I'm going to go through something a little faster. I apologize. I realize it's running a little late here. Our young at heart, the leadership there, our women's ministry, our men's ministry, our missions meeting, mission. Our missions team, our office and clerical and, and IT, we have a volunteer. That's not a paid area. And let me tell you what, you know, you relate to this, right? You sit there and you're like, why do I press the button and the thing doesn't print? What is going on? And you're ready to pick this computer up and throw it out. The, and it's so cool to have somebody be able to text and say, hey, uh, Curtis, uh, what's going on here? And it helps with efficiency and time. And again, it's all part of this thing saying we're in this together. Now, what I want to do, not to single anyone out, I'm not trying to do that, but if you serve in a formal position here at this church, will you please stand your feet so we can honor you? Go ahead. Don't be bashful. I know there's some in here. I'm looking at some of you and you're reluctantly sitting back. Would you please stand your feet? Everyone who serves in a formal position. And our elders, there's Cliff right up front. I forgot to mention our elders. Would you guys just give these people a round of applause? From the bottom of my heart, I say thank you. I do not mean it enough. And it's not to single. You're sitting down. I'm not, I'm not singling you out. Matter of fact, matter of fact, some of those standing just wrote your name down because they're going to they're gonna get a phone call this week. 
But I want to thank you. And then many of you sitting support, maybe in marriage to some of these people that stood, that's your role. Or maybe some of you serve in informal ways. And here's another one too that I can't miss. You know, Tanya and I got to go to a cookout this past weekend or a campfire with someone that doesn't go to church, someone that doesn't know Jesus. You know, that takes a lot of time too. So some of you, that's your ministry. We don't get to do that a lot because we're so immersed in all the church stuff. And that's a high priority to us. So we try and get that in there. And some of you, that's your ministry too. So again, not to single out those who stood, but I just want to say thank you uh, for all that you do. Now, I want to land this plane this way. There's two names on this list specifically. I want to come back to the text that I think take this thought even deeper. You'll see Onesimus jumps out in verse nine, and you're going to read about him this week. That's an interesting name that Paul puts him on this list. He was a slave owner whose slave ran away, and Paul had a right to him in the letter of Philemon. Uh, you're, going to, you're going to read about that this... Um, uh, I'm sorry. Got this, you're going to read that story this week. <laughs> and you're like, what in the world are you talking about? Mark's the other one. I want to talk about Mark specifically. Mark's the other one that um, I think takes this deeper. You see in verse 10, my fellow prisoner, Aristocrus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark the cousin of Barnabas. Now, the thing that's interesting about this is because when you go earlier in the story, Acts chapter 15, this would have been early before Paul's in prison, before Paul goes on all his, his, this is part of his missions experience. And he writes this, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Now, we don't know why he deserted. You're going to read it this week on the reading plan. All it says is he went home. We don't know why he went home. We don't know if he was homesick. We don't know if his mom was dying. We don't know if his sister, we don't, we don't even know if he has family. All we know is he goes home. And Paul says, I don't want anything to do with him. They had such, don't miss this. They had such, this is the apostle Paul, these great spiritual giants. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. Now, again, we don't know, and there's a lot of smart people who have, who have done a lot of study and study in, in extra biblical writings from the first century and read through Acts and trying to determine. This could have been anything from simply the difference in, in gifting. Barnabas, his name literally means son of encouragement. He was an encourager. Paul's more of an exhorter. So it could have been Barnabas. You know, you guys have ex- encouragers in your life who are like, no matter what you do and no matter wh- how bad you blow it, they're there to encourage you and uplift you and strengthen you. So that could have been Barnabas. And Paul's more the exhorter. Paul's like, hey, listen, take action, do something, let's move, we're taking. And so it's, it could have been a difference in gift sets. It could have been a difference in, in simply um, ministry approach. And one of them says, this is how you should do church. And I was like, no, this is how you should do church. And, and that you should run a missions trip this way. No, you should run a missions trip this way. And it could have been a split because of that. It could have been a split because of commitment. And that's, I, I kind of lean that way. And, and Paul's doubting Mark's commitment level. He's like, I'm not sure this guy's all in. It could have been a difference in calling. It could, have, it could have been the difference of Paul. Man, Paul is like hardcore. And Mark could have been homesick. And he's like, I miss mom, so I'm going to go home and see mom. And that's, that's a possibility. It could have been um, a mistake. It could have been sin. Something that was done. But whatever it was, what you learn is 2 Timothy. Only Luke is with me. Now, remember, what did he say here? Go back to Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. My fellow prisoner, Aristocrus, sends 
his greetings, as does Mark. So where is Mark at this reading? He's with Paul. Another letter that he wrote late in life from jail, it's this, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. Why? Because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Isn't that cool? I think the lesson I pull from this is how I wrote it in my journal this week. As you grow in this Jesus period message, I think what happens is you begin to deeply value other Christians who aren't like you, number one, who might not be as committed as you, number two, and maybe... The third one was be you, you begin to value people that have made mistakes that you may not have made. You know, we're so hard on people. And I find what's interesting to me, I'm hard on people in areas that I'm strong. I'm not going to fall to that. That's just because that's how God wired me, but I'm falling to some other areas. And sometimes we can be really critical of people who are falling in the areas where we're strong. And I think what beauty is, is Mark being on this list is saying, listen, this drives this message even deeper. As Paul is growing and maturing through his ministry, he's like, it's Jesus, period. It's Jesus, period. And I think he matures, though he's the apostle Paul and he's written much of our scriptures. I think he grows and matures. And I think by the time he's writing Colossians, he's matured a lot from that Acts 15 encounter. And he's understanding, wow, I am in Jesus. Mark is in Jesus. We're in this thing together. I value him. Bring him to me. And here he is now encouraging him. So again, it's gratitude. I think it's one of the greatest indications of how strong that Jesus message has set into your heart is how you handle the others in your life. Do you thank them? And one of the things we do is, is our, at our all staff meeting is, is the staff knows this question's coming. They know to be ready to answer this. It's two questions. Question one, what is God doing? The reason we ask that is because we have an expectation that God is alive, God is well, and God is working. We have an expectation. We serve the living creator God of the universe. As a church, we steward the message of Jesus and we're taken into our world. We expect God to work. So what is God doing in your area? And then we follow with the second question. Who do you need to thank? The reason I ask that question, we ask that as a staff, is because I don't ever want me and our staff to begin to think, look at these great things going on. Man, I am quite the guy. So we say, let's get away from that. Let's spread the wealth around. Let's acknowledge that we stand on the shoulders of others. And the success that we see is really their success, not our success. Now, no doubt you have people in your life. I want to share in my life, maybe it'll spur the thoughts of some in your life, because I want to challenge you to thank them when this thing comes to an end. But I think of my dad and my mom. You know, I start out there, and they're not perfect, but they're committed. They're committed. They've been married a really long time. From my dad, from my dad, I learned how to work hard and serve a family. I learned from my father. I, what I stand on his shoulders is I, in essence, got an MBA education sitting around the dinner table. He was a phenomenal leader and business leader. From my mom, people wonder, where do you get the passion out of? My, my passion comes from my mom, my black and white, and, and that, that here we go comes from, and the prayer. My mom prayed and still prays. She prayed before I was born. She still prays for me to this day. I stand on their shoulders. I have a sister 
I have three sisters, but one in particular stands out. I don't want to just mention, they all, all have meant a lot to me over the years. But one of them, I didn't get along with growing up. Matter of fact, she had a lot of bloody noses from me. Not proud of that, <laughs> but she did. We didn't get along. She would take my G.I. Joes and, and leave them in the, across the street in the alfalfa field where I could never find them. And she'd take my matchboxes, and we had this big 20-foot deep well that had a, a cap over it, but it had a hole. And she'd take my matchboxes, and shoo, down the hole they'd go. And so we didn't get along. At all. But when I walked away from the church and I walked away from Jesus, she continued to remind me, Adam, I believe in you and I'm praying for you. God's going to do something. And when I went up to the school in upstate New York to visit her where she was attending, I remember walking onto campus and I remember meeting someone and they're like, what's your name? You know, I don't think I know you. My name's Adam. What's your last name? Nagel. Adam Nagel? And I'm like, have we met? No, but I've been praying for you. You have. See, the entire campus praying for me. I stand on those shoulders today. I asked the question, what if she had not been praying for me? Would I be here today? It's a hypothetical what if, but if I don't stop and acknowledge that, that I'm on her shoulders, I think arrogance begins to set in a way that God says, Adam, you're not living on the Jesus period message. I think after I got to that school and I got serious with Jesus, Chris and Dave, I keep pictures of in my office. They were mentors. They were godly men. They challenged me. They pushed me. They spoke into me. They encouraged me. They believed in me. What a gift they were. I actually shed tears when I realized one of them was heading to France and it was going to Portugal. And I'm like, I'm not going to get to see you guys anymore. And who am I going to talk to? It hurt. And I remember one of them looking at me and saying, Adam, go be what we were to you. Go be that to someone else. It's your turn to stand up for someone else. I never forget that. To this day, it's what I try and do. I remember my wife. I also met her there. And I know she's sitting down here, and I told her last night, she's always said to me, if ever you're going to talk about me in a message, can you tell me ahead of time? So I didn't want to tell her because I just wanted to kind of surprise her with this one. But I thought, you know what? I don't really want to surprise her because I just want to. So I told her last night. But my wife, I stand on her shoulders. Sincerity from the bottom of my heart. My wife has impacted me for good more than any other human being on this planet. I learn from her, grow from her. What I understand in my ability to relate and interact with others has greatly been at her encouragement, her strength. So I stand on her shoulders. And I'd be foolish to ignore that. I think of Jerry, my junior high football coach, who then when I came on staff at Warwick to coach, I coached with him. Here's a guy, I don't even know if he knows Jesus. To this day, we've never, I've never really quite put that together, never really had that direct conversation. But here's a guy who built into me and taught me what leadership was and taught me how to work with young people. I learned more from Jerry than I did in Bible school in my student ministry classes. I learned how to lead. Jerry, I stand on his shoulders. I think of Jim Ayers at LBC. Dr. Ayers was the man who, when I began to figure out what am I going to do with my future, he was the one who walked with me and said, Adam, I want to cast a vision for you of what the church is supposed to be. It's the hope of the world because you steward the message of Jesus. I heard it from him and it took root and he fanned that flame. Jim Snavely. Jim Snavely was a guy who I walked with after I, Rick Fairman was another one. Rick Fairman got me an internship right over here, not far from Bethany. I got to serve in a paid internship in a church. You know how rare that is? I didn't even know anything about this church over here in New Holland where I ended up. I knew nothing about it. 
All I knew was Rick Fairman was there filling the pulpit, and he says, hey, Adam, they're in transition. They're looking for a paid intern. I, I, I put your name in, and I ended up getting a position because of his recommendation. What a gift. I was able to quit a part-time job and devote my time to learning in the church. What a gift that was. Jim Snavely then is the one that opened the door for me to go to Mifflin County. I wanted to be in a city. I just wanted so badly to be in like a Philly or a New York City or in a, where culture happens. And he says, Adam, there's a church out in Mifflin County, like the mountains of Pennsylvania. That is far from culture. I'm thinking, what are you? But perfect location. Perfect. God wanted me there. There I met a guy named Doug, the senior pastor. And I think, Doug, if we wrote my story today, you might have an Acts 15 discussion like Mark and, and um, or Paul and Barnabas around Mark. I value Doug highly, but we were, we were like oil and we were two different people, focused on the same stuff, but came at it totally different. But, you know, he was the first man who sat with me and looked me in the eyes and said, Adam, your identity I question whether it's really in Jesus alone. Never anyone questioned me on that. And I remember getting really angry and thinking, how dare you question my heart and what I think about God and Jesus. But he stayed patient with me and he challenged me and his famous verse to me. This is why if you hear me quoted, it's Doug that's speaking through me. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Adam, you need to rest in that alone, period. And you're looking to everything else. That message took root, and you still hear it in me today. But it was Doug that planted that seed, and I stand on his shoulders. I go out from there, and Dan Sutherland, who many of you got to meet, I shared Dan with you when I, uh, about four years ago, had him come here to the church. But a guy, again, national leader who, when I fell and I hurt, walked alongside of me as an exhorter and an encourager. Um, Chris, Pastor Chris, can't leave him off the list. You know, many, when you study how to do church, One of the things you'll read often and you'll hear from other people say, as a senior pastor, be careful about making an associate pastor a close friend. Praise God, we have an associate pastor here with the humility and the grace and the mercy that Chris has, who's proven that wrong. And I stand with Chris as a friend. And I love him to death and how he puts in, he shares, sharpens me because he thinks so different from me. He's gifted so different from me. I stand on his shoulders. I think of our elders and our former elders. Man, each one of them have put into my life in, in unique ways. And there's one word I would share for the entire team, and that's the word trust. I've learned how to trust through that team. What a gift, incredible gift they are to me in this church. And the final one I'd mention is my kids. I think sometimes we think as leaders and we look down, but my kids speak up. Remember last night, just last, I'll share one last night. We watched the movie, God's Not Dead. B-plus movie, in my opinion. Not the greatest acting. The storyline's kind of weak at times, but a real strong, in my opinion, some of you may disagree, that's cool. Really strong lesson at it. And I, and I, Got done watching with my kids, and I said, what is, what is this? Uh, what do you learn about God through this, guys? What do you feel about God? And they, some of them were mixed. One of them says to me, Dad, God is for real. This is real life. And now, that touched me, number one, because I'm watching my son grow and mature and kind of form his own opinions. But number two, you know why it touched me? Because I needed to hear that last night. 
I've been walking through a hard season. Some of you know that's been this and some other things. And I'm like, I needed to hear that. Dad, God's for real. I stand on his shoulders, his little tiny nine-year-old shoulders. I stand on them. So what I want to do is I want to say you, no doubt, that's my list. And I could give you so many more names. But I, I am sure, I'm positive, you're here this morning and you're striving to live in Jesus, period. None of, us are get, none of us have it down, but you're striving. You're like, I got some people in my list. When's the last time you stopped and told them and expressed the gratitude? So what I'm going to do is we're going to just take five minutes. Okay? There's a thank you card in your bulletin. So what I encourage you to do is just think, who could I write a thank you note to? Who has made a difference in my life? Whose shoulders do I stand on? So I encourage you to take some time. I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to give you time to think and then write the note. Then, you know, go home, put a stamp on it, put their address and drop it in the mail. There's more down front here. So through this time, you're like, oh my goodness, there's like five. Well, come grab five, six, seven, 20. They're all right down here. Get up and grab them throughout this time. Or at the end of the service, you can come down and grab them. But they're here for you to write. Just say thank you for how you've put into my life. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Then we're going to give you time to read. The, the, the ushers are going to combine. They're going to take the offering through this time too. So I want to mention that. So if you have your tear off, make sure that's again filled out and drop that in. Say hello, share your prayer request. Please, this thing I said is in first service. Please don't drop these in the offering. We're not mailing them for you. Okay, I, I thought about that. I thought, you know, we could, we could potentially provide stamps for everyone. But I thought, you know what? No, let's, your gratitude and your heart can express itself in a 30 whatever cent stamp. So that's... That's, uh, we're going to ask you, so please don't drop that in the offering when it comes by. Um, the offerings for, again, giving and um, your tear off. Put that in there. So let me pray for you. And again, just take some time to reflect and think and smile and, and say thank you to some people. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you how you've worked in my life. Thank you how you've, how the people that you've sent my way. Uh, the people that have spoken into my heart and have challenged me and strengthened me have grown me up big and strong and continue to push me to grow further. God, thank you for that. Thank you for that. God, I pray for all of us now as we just take some time, God, I I pray this be a meaningful time. God, people, I know many people here striving to live that Jesus period message. They're in Jesus and Jesus in them and it is nothing else, period. God, as they start to do that, they start to realize, man, I am in debt to so many people around me. Can this be a sweet time, a special time where, where maybe a name or two or three pops to their mind and it doesn't need to be a long card, but just maybe a sentence. Thank you for making a difference in my life. God, thank you for making a difference in my life. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.